What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour Podcast, episode 73. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Chris Ball, CEO and founder of Ball Family Farms. How you doing today, Chris? What's up, Mitch? How you doing, my brother? <laughs> <laughs> Word up. Nah, what's up, man? Good to see you. Um, happy to be here, man. Happy to talk some cannabis. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Let's get to you, it. You- you have a unique story around this plant and a great story for this industry. So I'm excited for, for our listeners and audience to hear that and, and just to be able to hear more of it myself, straight from the horse's mouth, if you will. Um, Absolutely. Like like we were saying right before we started, got to meet briefly at this Hall of Flowers in Palm Springs a second ago. Um, and we've been creating some content behind the scenes for you guys for, for some of the retail outlets. But would love to know kind of your origin story around cannabis and when you first kind of got involved with the plant and a little bit of your history leading up to, to breaking into this uh, uh, recreational market. Man, absolutely. Um, and I love I love, you know, telling this story, man. I've told it a million times and it never gets old to me. But um, so I'm gonna give you like the six minute version because I got like, you know, 20 minute versions. I got <laughs> two minute versions. Right. So we're going to kind of keep it right in the middle to give, just give everybody a, a, a six minute synopsis. Right. Um, so I got I got introduced to cannabis when I was about 10 um, and it was I noticed it. I recognized it by the funny smelling little cigarettes my dad used to smoke, you know, after dinner and uh, throughout the house sometimes. I knew what regular cigarettes were because my mom smoked those, but dad's cigarettes just smelled a little different. You know what I mean? And they were a lot smaller. Um, I would then recognize this same cigarette, you know, at family get togethers, barbecues, Christmas time, Thanksgiving. And, you know, grandma would be smoking it. My uncle, my aunt would be smoking it. A couple of my cousins would be smoking it. So it it became a part of the culture, right? Uh, Once I got into high school, um, well, before then, you know, I grew up in the Reagan era, you know what I mean, in the 80s. So it was the Just Say No campaigns. So as you you can imagine, you know, once I learned what dad's funny smelling cigarette was, it was kind of confusing for me because here are all the people that I love and admire, you know, um, in my family that are are, are smoking this, this thing. But then when I get to school, they tell me just say no. But because of all the people that I cared about was involved in it, I never, ethically or morally, I never saw anything wrong with it because it was just part of our culture. It was dad's cigarettes. It was grandma's cigarettes. It was un- uncle's cigarettes, you know? So fast forward, when I get into high school, um, I was about 16 and my cousin Earl was a neighborhood weed man. Man, cousin Earl was super fresh all the time, right? Oh, well, I wanted to be super fresh, just like cousin Earl. So I asked cousin Earl to slide me, you know, my first ounce of weed and teach me, you know, how to get out, which he did. But I wasn't very good at it. I don't think I was my entrepreneurship hadn't set in yet. Right. So I kind of, you know, broke it up and kind of sold half of it and probably gave the other half away. Tried to smoke it a couple of times, but really wasn't for me. Got super paranoid. I was like, I, I don't really want to fuck with this. Um, so once I graduated two years later, you know, my parents had that good old conversation that, you know, you either got to, you know, work or you got to keep going to school, but you got to get out of here. Right. So I decided I wasn't ready to join the workforce. So I moved out, moved in with a buddy of mine in uh, Walnut and enrolled in Mount Sac Junior College in Walnut, California. Now, my plan here was to go to Mount Sac, you know, continue to play football at the junior college level, get a football scholarship and so forth and so on. But I didn't have no money. Right. And um, I couldn't re- really rely on any help from my parents. So I called cousin Earl back and I was like, yo, you know, run me back another zone. 
only this time the stakes were higher and I knew if I didn't make it happen, you know, my dreams of going to college, playing ball and trying to make it to the NFL, we're going to, we're going to end right there. So that's what I did. I got the zip, broke it up again. And, but this time I made it work. So I sold weed out of my backpack for the next two years to put myself through school, pay my tuition, pay for my books, put gas in my car, put Jordans on my feet. Once I got my scholarship two years later to Berkeley, I put it down. I had, I was like, okay, I don't need it no more. I'm going to go to college. I'm on a full ride scholarship. I'm going to play football for two years. And then I'm going to go to the NFL and live happily ever after and make millions of dollars. Well, that shit didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> Did really well my first year. Was a projected second round draft pick my, my uh, choice my senior year, but then got into some trouble, wind up getting myself benched and wind up, you know, graduating, but then going free agent, you know, uh, to San Francisco out of college. Got cut, got sent over to NFL Europe, played another year over there in a developmental league, came back and was waiting to sign with either the Chiefs or the Ravens when I got a call from the CFL, the BC Lions in British Columbia, Canada, right? Said, fuck it. I don't want to wait no more. I'm going to just go play two years in Canada and then I'll come back to the NFL then. Well, when I got to Canada, this is where I saw weed being grown for the first time from seed to harvest, right? Once I saw this process, I just fell absolutely in love with the plant, right? Before then, you know, I was the middleman, get it from cousin Earl, sell it, do, make my little chips and I'm done. This time I saw it from seed form. I had never seen weed go from this to that. So as I fell in love with that process, I was like, okay, this is something that I think that I really want to do. After I spent two years over in, um, over in the CFL, I came back, I got a part in a movie, right? So I left my career over in the CFL, came back to, came back to LA. During that time, in those two years, I started trafficking weed from Canada to the United States, all right? And I won't get into how I was trafficking weed because I'm not, I don't know if people are still doing it. So I don't want to give away nobody's, I don't want to give away nobody's secrets, right? But I'm gonna just tell you, I was trafficking from Canada to the United States. During that two year span, I built up a name for myself in Los Angeles, right? I became known as the football player with the fire packs. And I think back then, I know back then we were selling juicy fruit. So for anybody mm. who's been selling weed over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, you know what Juicy Fruit is, right? I was picking up over there for about 800 bucks and then selling it down here in LA for about 3,500, mm. right? So over the course of two years, you can imagine how much money I made. I started, I made more money doing that than I was making playing football over there. So I was like, you know what? Once I got the part in the movie, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm gonna go back to LA. I already got my, already got my, my, my street business rocking and rolling. And I'm going to just do that and, and act and become a movie star or whatever, whatever I'm going to do. I did that. I came back to L.A. and started trapping some more, um, got introduced to a, a, a very important guy in a cartel that I will leave nameless, you know, for now and um, started working with him. Well, he was being followed by the federal government. So then now here I go. We're now up to 2010 and I get wrapped up in a federal indictment. Right. They come down, I think our case was for about 2,000 pounds of marijuana that we had been distributing throughout the United States. Came down, they were like, listen, you're looking at a 10-year mandatory minimum on this case. I was like, 10 what? 10 who? For doing what? Yo, bro, I just sell weed. There is nothing white about what I'm doing. This is all greenery, right? 
They're like, yeah, this is the RICO Act. You know, you this guy's attached to this and you guys are attached to this. I'm like, yo, I don't know nothing about what you're talking about. I know I did this, right? So winded up, winded up pleading out on the case. Um, I wind up signing a deal for 30 months. Went in, you know, paid my little debt to society, came back out, and I got out on pretrial release, right? So my lawyer worked out a really good deal for me. He said, look, you're going to sign for three years. You're going to do 30 months, right? But you played out of this thing. You, I took responsibility for what I did and played out. He said, but you're not going to report until the case is over. There was a couple guys still in the case, 14-man indictment. There was a few other guys still fighting. So he's like, he worked out a deal with the judge and said, until the case is over and those guys get sentenced, then Chris will report for his three years. The strategy behind that was my attorney was like, I want to see what the number one and number two get on the case because if they get a lesser, if they don't get 10 years, then I'm going to try to renegotiate you know, your time, even though you sign, you know, he said, it's a long shot, but it's something that I've seen happen. Well, they fought the case for four years, right? Now, mind you, in that four-year time, I've kept the job, worked at Abercrombie and Fitch for two years, and then worked for Nike for two years out of Las Vegas, paid my taxes, didn't get in one ounce of trouble. By the time they were done, the number one on the case got five years, right? Now he's number one, he get five, I'm number 14, I get three. So when it's time for me to go back to report for sentencing, my, my attorney raised a good point. Hey, listen, this has been hanging over his head for the past four years. He's not gotten any trouble. He's paid his taxes every year. He was only supposed to do three. Judge looked at me and gave me time served. I walked out a free man. Went back to Nike in Las Vegas and quit my job. <laughs> now, don't ask me why I did this. I didn't even know why I did this at the time. I just knew that I wasn't happy. I knew corporate America wasn't for me. Soon as I got free, I went back to Nike, quit my job, took all my savings, came back to uh, California, came back to LA, and bought me a fourteen light grow in Van Nuys, California, to apply all the knowledge I had gained from Canada of growing, right? But I had never grown before. So now we're in about we're in two thousand and fourteen. Come back to LA, I'm growing, I'm growing. A first year, I just burnt up plants. I didn't do I didn't do anything right. I burnt up plants after that after that first year. I was kind of running out, out of savings, but then it clicked. So then for the next three years, I started selling the co-ops. All my boys had co-ops, you know, pre-ICOs in the LA area. So this is how I started, you know, building my, my bank, my, my, my bag back up. Till I was introduced to the social equity program in 2018, went down there, found out it was legit, applied, got the license, and Ball Family Farms was mm. born. Mm. That's, that's the origin story, man. That's the origin story. Now that I think we was, I think I'm at about eight minutes on that one. That was like eight, eight to nine minutes, but there it is, right? But there. that's that's a lot of history, right? Starting in, in high school, through college, through sports, through fighting federal indictment, to working your way into this industry through social equity, which is obviously a huge conversation. You know, California kind of spearheaded having some form of a program, the East Coast, as they start to legalize, they're really putting an emphasis on it. I'm up in Washington. We've had legal weed for seven years. They're, they've been talking about social equity for a little over a year. Use COVID as the perfect example to continue to fumble the rock for an extended amount of time. So we, we still don't have anything, but it's such an important part. And like even what you're speaking of growing up in a culture where cannabis was normalized in, in your in, at home and within the culture that you that you grew up in, but at school, it's taught a certain way. And, uh, you, you know, you alluded to the Reagan era. I mean, that's, you know, you are you're a product of what so, what okay. social equity is designed for. Right. And so it's it's really dope yep. to, to see that and to see uh, someone like yourself that's not only 
you know, running in this industry on that regard, but growing and taking all this legacy knowledge and applying it. So, so big salute to what you've been doing with, with the brand, man. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, bro. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot it's, to me. It's, it's very rare and it's dope to see. You know, I've been around this industry a long time. My, my black and brown friends really put me on game and, and helped me show. And, you know, the, definitely I, I firsthand saw, and when you look at the statistics, the disappropriation between sentencing and, and convictions, it's 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 disgusting. You know, it's something that we it's crazy, it's something that we need to address, man. And yeah, it's definitely broken. It's a de it's definitely the system is definitely broken, and we need it needs some attention. And, it needs some tender love and care. For and it. even within that, the social equity system is very predatory. And like I say, even in my state, we don't even have it. Some of these other states, it's moved on from true social equity, some bullshit bubblegum version of it that you know gives politicians yep. something good to point at and feel happy about. But to see someone like your, but it ain't working. Yeah, to see someone like yourself to come into that uh, from a broken system into another broken system and be able, at least from the outside looking in, look like you're thriving, man. It's it's really a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, first of all, let, let me say again, thank you. You know, because I think a lot of people who, you know, that don't un really understand our culture and don't really understand what's going on, they just look at me as just a black face out here. You know, with a successful cannabis brand and to you know to highlight all the things that you talk about man that that was nothing but pure just heart perseverance and relentless pursuit you know what i'm saying on my end um and it wasn't you know to chase it really wasn't to chase the bread you know what i'm saying i was chasing the culture mm. you know what i'm saying like i was chasing what i love to do i felt like the only things i've ever been good at is playing football and selling weed you know so for me you know it was like i said i i had i had pretty much not beat beat my uh my case but I pretty much walked away, you know, from my case. And for me to come back and be working for one of the most prestigious companies in the world, you know, at Nike, and then deciding to quit that to come back to cannabis, you know, I know now what why I made mm -hmm. that decision, you know, because here I am today, you know, speaking on behalf of social equity, speaking on behalf of people of color, and you know, really trying to, you know, carve out some space and change the trajectory of my fam of the legacy of my family's name in the game. But at the time, it was just pure heart. You know, everyone in my family told me, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You just got done with this. You're going to go back. You know what I'm saying? You're going to go back and go buy a grow. And, and it wasn't, there was no social equity at that time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm basing my whole existence off of a co-op mm -hmm. situation. You know what I'm saying? I want to be a caregiver, you know? So for me to get through all of that, man, and, and, and not have a single ounce of growing experience when I bought my growth and to be in there using up all my savings to get through them, you know, to trying to figure out how to grow out of rock wool, how to figure out how to grow out of cocoa, living soil, humidities, you know, try, man, I didn't have every failure you could have inside of a growth. You know what I'm saying? And to be standing here today, still persevering and now kind of being the voice of it, bro, it's a true testament and a true dream come true for me and my family. Real talk. Absolutely. And with the brand name, right? Ball Family Farms, taking your you know, your name and, and putting it in there and creating something that's beyond just a legacy of potential building, you know, generational wealth, but building, you know, something generational that's built off of your name. And like you said, the game that you got from your family, you're just inputting that into what you're going on. I'm sure that's going to be passed. The torch going to be passed on down the line. You already know my little brother uh, is the CFO of the company. My little cousin is my facilities manager. You know, my sister was working with the company at one point in time. It's definitely something that we're trying to create to pass down, man. I, I want my family to be like the Nordstrom's mm. kids, you know, or, or the in and out kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's the whole purpose here. You know what I'm saying? I, I think and I think that it's definitely doable. You know, I think cannabis is going to become the new Western medicine. And I want my family's name to be right there in the mix. I want us to be Pfizer.
what's happening? Why not? Why can't it be us? Uh, man, I, I, lo I love that. And so, you know, one of the things I want to ask is kind of the inspiration behind the branding. You know, you guys at events have a very, you know, sports theme from from rocking the jerseys to, you know, I think you guys were giving out basketballs at this last rendition of Hall of Fire. seeing people, Absolutely. seeing some people crossing some people up down the hall, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so where, where did this inspiration to kind of met, like mesh sports and, you know, your legacy family, like what was kind of inspiration behind the branding? You know what it was, man? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, Mitch. Everything that we do is, everything that I do is stand for is authenticity, right? So when I created the brand, I went against the grain of what everybody was telling me. You know, my I, my family, we're all sports players. You know what I'm saying? Like my little brother Chuck played, you know, played baseball. I had a full-ride baseball scholarship to Cal Poly Pomona. My little cousin Mikey um, had a Division II full-ride football scholarship. I had a Division One football scholarship, you know? So... When we all come together, it ain't nothing but competition in the house on holidays, on any any time we all get together, it's nothing but competition going on, right? Because we all we all are competitors in that way. After that, you know, I kind of wanted to put that feel on it. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to kind of put the ball boys feel on it. That's what we go by in our in our in our family, the ball boys, right? After that, I started kind of going over into okay, what's gonna set me apart? What's gonna make me different? What is my passion, right? I'm a movie buff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, all I do is watch movies all day and learn the words to movies, you know? So when it came time to start naming strains, the Daniel LaRusso, the Laura Charles, the Bruce Leroy, the Nino Browns, I wanted to name my strains and tie that, tie those names into characters who inspired me as a kid growing up, right? That's authentic to me, right? And authentic to anyone who was raised in my era. You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of one of them people that I like to kind of do things subtly. And if you know, you know. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't, you're going to go look it up and try to figure it out and find out. So with all of that, man, all of the inspiration just came from life. Mm. You know, it just came from, okay, what do we like to do around here? Oh, we like to ball. We like to play ball. Okay. It ties in very well. Our last name is Ball. Okay. Ball Family Farms. Believe me, I wrestled with a couple names. Ball Marijuana Farms. And I'm like, that's BMF. I don't want to touch that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got, I got way too much respect for the street to touch that, right? So I'm like, okay, well, well, ball family farms. Okay. And at the time, the ball brothers, the basketball ball brothers was just starting to bubble. You know what I'm saying? This is like what four years oh, ago. Yeah, so yeah, there was a lot I didn't even of, think of that. Yeah, it was a lot of shit going on that time with them. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna keep it authentic. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm gonna keep they were ball in the family. You know, that was their whole thing. So I was like, all right, ball family farms, play off of BFF. There's so much we could do with that. Let's get it popping. You know what I'm saying? So with that, that aspect of it tied in with the, you know, just the the legacy movies of the New Jack Cities mm. and, you know, the Last Dragons and the Karate Kids and all that, it just felt good, you know? And once it hit, I was like, okay, I'm on to something. You know, people started, you know, rolling up, tagging us, posting while they watching the Karate Kid, like, oh, the nostalgia of it and everything. So then it just became fun, bro. That Man, that's awesome. And so and coming out of, you know, LA, which is the, you know, in my opinion, hands down the most competitive market in, in you know, legal street. Whatever. In the it, world, it's, bro. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe black in market, we could get the Bay Area, might carve out an argument there. But we're talking about yeah. legal cannabis. Uh, you know, LA is the most competitive market on the planet. What have you done to remain competitive in, in a market that just has that type of climate? Bro, genetics, bro. Genetics, hands down, genetics. You know, genetics and growing methods, mm. right? A lot of people, man, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people who are in the space right now 
are in a rat race to just try to be the biggest cannabis company in the world, right? How can I franchise my shit? How can I prepare for the big buyout, you know, from pharma or from, you know, um, the what, what's the cigarette company? What, William Morris? Oh, or Philip Morris. What yeah. are they called? Philip Morris, right? Everybody's trying to ramp up, ramp up, ramp up so they can get this big 50 million, $100 million buyout, right? And I'm not going to lie. In the beginning, uh, that crossed my mind, right? That did cross my mind. I, I set my family up for life. But when you're doing that, you start to commercialize the product, right? You can't keep your eye on 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 15 grows across the United States, mm. right? You got to start franchising that out. Now, when you're franchising out, now, no disrespect to anybody who's franchising. If you're franchising and that's what you're doing and you're ready, you preparing for your buyout, I, more power to you. I understand it. I get it. But for me, I wanted to be more of a craft company, right? I wanted to try to mimic the Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola motto, right? I want Daniel LaRusso to taste the same in Los Angeles, in Oklahoma, in Florida, and Michigan, for that matter, right? Wherever I go, wherever people pick up LaRusso, I want it to be the same. So for me, I'm not rushing. I've had plenty of opportunities to franchise. I've had plenty of opportunities to take money from outside investments to do this, to do that. But I won't do it because... I want Ball Family Farms to be a brand that people could count on. And I want people to know this brand is about the culture. They're not selling out. They're not, they're not watering down their products or watering down their genetics or having three different, four different growers grow their genetics and it's coming out different all over the country. Nah, this brother's taking his time. He's protecting his genetics. He's protecting his IP and he's protecting his product so that we know when we get it, Ball Family Farms is a brand that we could yeah. count on. That's really what set me apart, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's been almost four years and I still haven't moved. I'm just now building out my facility in Oklahoma. And I've been training my growers for the past year who I'm going to deploy to Oklahoma with the same IP, with the same genetics, so that Daniel LaRusso, Laura Charles, um, Nino Brown taste the same in both states, you know? And then we're going to get, then I'm going to get, I'm going to get tricky with it. You know, I may grow a different strain out in Oklahoma that you can't get in yeah. Cali and then grow one in Cali that you can't get in Oklahoma. So now it gives a consumer uh, something to look forward to. Oh, I'm visiting Oklahoma. I've had BFF stuff in LA. Let me go get the one that's only in Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? It should be fun, man. You know what I mean? And the medicine should work. The weed mm -hmm. should be fired. Absolutely, man. And, and there's been great, you know, from the, the retail clients that we work with to the, to the word on the street, quality is definitely something I, I say you guys have been associated with, but, you know, in conversations when y'all are not around. But I want to take it back a little bit to, to the sports days. Obviously, you know, D1, playing, you know, playing professionally in, in a couple of different areas, like you played sports at, at the highest level. How did cannabis help and how did cannabis hinder your your athletic journey as, as a consumer, not necessarily the, the, the commerce of it, but as a consumer? Well, you know, I never smoked, bro. OK. I, I was never I never smoked. My, I tried that one time I told you about in high school. Right. Got super paranoid it out. I tried maybe maybe one or two more times, you know, since Ball Family Farms has been around. You know what I'm saying? Up my whole journey throughout sports and all of that stuff. It was never really for mm. me. I was more of a drinker. But what it did do, what cannabis was always doing was kind of following me along in my life journey. And I didn't really realize it at the time. You know, I was chasing the football dreams, right? Now, what now what did happen though is that football and sports helped me in cannabis today. Mm right? Because football and sports taught me discipline, right? Taught me no excuses, taught me by any means necessary, taught me you can achieve what you want to achieve if you put in your 10,000 hours of work, 
and film study and working after practice. So when it came, so when I come out of pro sports and I have these tools that have taken me all over the all over the, the world to play ball, I just can't. I just came and used those tools and applied them into the cannabis mm. field, or ta- or or used them in my black market entrepreneurship. Right? Okay, I'm the guy that will get up and I will drive 18 hours from over here to over here to get my product off. I'll change my packaging. You know, I'll get brand new turkey bags instead of old ones. So my presentation is well, you know what I'm saying? So that I make sure I get that sale. So all I did was take those same principles and apply them into the legal framework, right? So I said, okay, if we're going to be successful, let me just and, and let me just apply these same things and bring them over here. So even, even down to the people that are hired, you know, I would look for people who were ex-athletes or you know um maybe had a lot to lose or maybe had a crazy work ethic bro that will go you know 10 12 hours without needing a break you know what i'm saying just that killer mentality because those are the type of people that i jail with and those are the type of people who are going to get the job done so when it comes time to pheno hunting i'm not i don't want a grower that's just gonna oh we got 200 seeds over here but we got to pick one of them because I don't want to go through this whole, you know, 12 week process again. No, I want the guy that's going to be like, if we don't find it, are these 300, I'm going to pop another mm. 300. And we're not going to release nothing until we find her. You know what I'm saying? And she got to hit all the big three, look, taste, smell, bag appeal, everything. Right. So that's what I did, bro. And so it wasn't really about what cannabis did for me in sports. It was more about what sports did for me in cannabis. That's a, su- that's a super unique angle. And I, I, I didn't really do sports growing up. I was in the skateboarding and, and smoking weed and, and fucking up, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> right. I, I got a lot of friends, friends that played sports and I definitely identify with that. You know, I've always had the hustle and I, I've meshed well with sports guys for that same, uh, that same aspect of like, absolutely. you know, if you got a goal or a mission, bro, you just, you like, you accomplish it. You know what I mean? Like you just accomplish what, it. what is giving up half. I don't, understand. there's no, there's, there's no backup yeah. plan, right? There's no, if I don't, it's not, it's, 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 it's gotta get accomplished. Yeah. You know, just like in the game, it's either you're going to kick my ass or I'm going to kick yours. I'm going to kick yours. Now you get your ass kicked, but it also teaches you how to yeah. get up because you got 25 seconds to get up before you get your ass kicked again. So it teaches you, you know, uh, stamina, resiliency, right? Same things, man. Same things apply. And at what at what point? I mean, obviously you were playing pro, you know, a couple of years ago, and the climate of cannabis, especially cannabis and sports, has changed pretty drastically over just these last three Absolutely. to four years. But what would you estimate, you know, at that high level, like how many percentage of athletes did you see kind of using cannabis? Was it pretty prevalent and frequent? Bro, like eighty <laughs> percent. <laughs> and this is this is way back when. I mean, you know, cats on the team, man, is 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 dodging, you know, team team uh piss mm. tests all day long, you know. And the, the the great thing about you know at the you know in the college level, they don't really tell you when you're gonna get tested. You know, that's the NCAA. You know, but at the pro level, you know, you you had two tests. You had your team test, and then you had the league test. So the team test, you could fail the team test. Because the coaches is going, yo, man, you dirty. You know what I'm saying? Like, fix that. We can't save you when the league come mm. in. You fail the league test, that's when you get suspended, you know? So guys was using it, man, at 80%, bro. 80%. And the, and the other probably 15 that wanted to use it just didn't, just weren't rule breakers, yeah. right? They were just like, man, I'm going to just chill to the off season. You know what I'm saying? But everybody, you know, most athletes wanted to use it because it, we didn't want to take Vicodin. Didn't want to take them opioids, you know what I'm saying? All you had to do was smoke a little bit and you'd be fine. 
Absolutely. That's that's something that we we now see a lot of former athletes that have platforms. You know, like we were talking a little bit before this, the All the Smoke, you know, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, and a, a, a litany of, of pro athletes have came out and spoken about this. And that 80% is, is a common a common uh, percentage point that we keep hearing. It's a common theme, bro. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, how, how, I, how I paid the bills when I was in college, I mean, I, you know, maybe 80% of the clientele was on some sort of sports team. On some, bro. I mean, weed ain't never heard nobody, bro. I ain't never heard nobody overdosing off of no cannabis, man. Period, point blank. If anything, it's just going to put you to sleep or make you eat up everything in your refrigerator. Yeah, and, and even for me, you know, I, I again, I, I I played, you know, I played ball in the rec center. You know, I didn't do nothing big, but I like right, I right. like smoking when I played sports or when I do other things because it for me it just helped like block things out. Whatever I'm doing is what I'm right. doing. You know, there's no like usually I got a thousand different ideas running through my mind. You know, and like I don't know caffeine. I know people take Adderall. I don't like any personally. I don't like any. Sport. I, don't like, I, don't like Man, I need to. I need yeah. to. I need to relax. You know. None of that, bro. Um, and that's what cannabis does. So it, it's it's crazy. It's it's always great to hear that. Um, and so, like, what do you think? Are I mean, they're pretty apparent, but but you feel like people that use cannabis in sports are definitely they use cannabis because they enjoy cannabis or because it's a medicinal. You think they seek it for medicinal? Purposes? Both, both. I, I you know I've had teammates who use it um, just because they like to be high. You know, just just for that for that for that one reason, I had teammates that used it because it helped them focus. You know, I had teammates who used it like they had to use it or they would be all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Like they couldn't get their they thoughts together. You got teammates that use it for pain, you know, back problems. You know, I play football. You know what I'm saying? So you got knee injuries, knee surgeries, back injuries, you know, back problems, shoulder injuries. Don't nobody want to be popping pills all day. You know what I'm saying? Them pills make, make you groggy. They have all kind of crazy side effects. You get home from a long day of practice or, or the next day from a game, you don't want to be popping no Vicodin. You know what I'm saying? You want it, man, I could, you could just blow one real quick. That cannabis will subside that pain, you know what I'm saying, help you through your treatments, and you'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's all around. It's all around. And some guys just, like I said, they just like to be hot, you know? And I, I encourage that because, you know, when you're playing sports, man, dudes is on all kind of shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, over in Canada, they don't test for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, sport performance enhancements, um, you know, cannabis, you, you pretty much do what you want over there. You know what I'm saying? As long as you show up to practice and long, long as you show up to the game. So some of those guys, man, you know, their, their nerves would be bad, you know, or, or super anxiety or, or shit like that. You'd rather have a dude smoke a joint and sit on the couch than go out and beat up his girlfriend. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or get some sort of rage out in the street, some, some road rage or something, and get take a bat to somebody, to some driver's head because he got cut off. You know, so I, I've seen it all different ways. I've seen all different uses for it. Where do you see, you know, as, as we we're just saying, you know, the stigma around former athletes speaking out, you know, NBA and I can't remember if the NFL, I know the MLB and the NF, NBA stopped. I believe they stopped testing. For they stopped testing. NFL ain't stopped, but I think they're, they're, they're working. So where, where do you see, where do you see it. the future of like cannabis and sports and, and where they collide? I think that, I think, Man, I'm gonna tell you like this. I think can the the future of cannabis and, and sports. It, it cannabis will be legal in all sports very soon. I believe, um, for obvious reasons, right? All the player associations are associations are advocating for it at this point because the players are, right? More importantly, I think when this thing goes federally legal, you're gonna see cannabis, you know, start to change Western medicine. I think the stigma of cannabis is is on its way out the door. And how you know that is all you got to do is watch TV, mm -hmm. right? Hollywood will definitely start to tell you first. 
every show, if you go on Netflix, probably six out of 10 shows, you see somebody smoking a joint these days, right? So they're already starting to try to destigmatize it through the most brainwashing thing we have on the face of the earth, which is our television, right? You're starting to see more cannabis companies get bank accounts. We got one, right? Now I don't have to bank all my money at my facility. I got an actual bank account that'll bank my money. Now they charging me up the ass, you know, my interest, my interest and my percentages are up the ass, but I got a bank, right? So now that you start to see all these things start to happen, this lets you know, okay, we're getting ready for federal legalization. Last year, I think the feds asked for about 5,000 grams for research and development, right? This year they asked for 18,000, right? What does that tell mm -hmm. you? They start to do more research. They're about to open this thing up. But I think once this thing opens up and it's federally legal, right? And now we can take the proper R&D dollars for, for, for growers like myself and other great growers across the world to really show the world that cannabis is medicine and it's not some crazy reforatic drug and the health benefits that come along with it, I think you'll see everything start to change. I think all sports categories will stop testing for it. There was no reason for uh, Shakari Richards to get banned from, from the Olympics for smoking a joint. Come on, bro, this is ridiculous. When you got other cannabis companies, uh, uh, CBD companies and all this stuff getting all kind of uh, praise and getting marketing dollars to promote at the at the Olympics, right? I think all that stuff would be is on its way out the door, and I think in about twenty four to thirty six months, you'll see every you'll see no sports testing for it, and I think it'll start to change Western medicine for sure. Absolutely, I think that's a great outlook. It's something that that needs to happen, um, you know. And 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 you you said destigmatize, and that's that's really ultimately what it is. Whether it's sports, whether it's media, that's that's the biggest thing about cannabis is this fighting this stigma that existed for. I mean, it's a complicated many variables to why and how and when, but run it. <laughs> that whole propaganda back then, man, you know, it used to be illegal for you not to grow hemp way back in the farmer days. It was everybody was growing it, right? They figured out what it does, they figured out the power that it had, and then they banned it, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't want to see us healthy. That's it. We all know the yeah. game. Well, some of us do, some of us are woke. Yeah. You know, <laughs> most yeah, most certainly, man. It's 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 crazy, and as as the stigma breaks, it just provides you know so much more opportunity. You said Western medicine's changing, you know, sports will change for the better, and even rec. You know, we alluded to a few in this that conversation of sports of what people choose to do. You know, alcohol. Just having someone on the other day, and they said alcohol. I can't remember how they put it, but they said alcohol is like an accelerator. You know, it'll take any emotion you have. Mm -hmm and accelerate it for, accelerate for good or for bad. Facts. You know, you're celebrating, you're going to be really fucking happy. You're going right? to way you celebrate, right? But you depress, you're going to be hella right, depressed. Right, and that's when you when you start accelerating those negative emotions, you get negative outcomes usually. And cannabis is one of those things that it doesn't, you know, it's like a it's like a leveler, if you will. You know what I mean? It's not- it's, Yeah, level you yeah, out. It's not, it's not pushing you any way, bad or good. It's just bringing you centered, you know? Man, and just think about how many people die from cirrhosis of the liver mm. or, you know, from drinking alcohol their whole life, you know, get, get cancer, colon cancer, all these different things, bro. You, you don't even have that with, with cannabis. Right. They're providing cannabis to cancer patients, to AIDS patients, to damn near every patient, any kind of patient. Mm. You know, doctors nowadays, hey, you tried cannabis and you tried to, you know, I got my mom, I took my mom off rheumatoid arthritis with edibles, bro. Mm. I mean, come on, man. The proof is in the pudding. You know, it's right there. It's right in front of our face. Absolutely. And so 
Taking it, taking it to, to to back to the farm a little bit is, you know, you mentioned pheno hunting and making sure that these strains are right. What what do you look for and how do you approach selecting genetics? Man, there's a couple of different things, right? Um, the first thing we're always going to look for is is how she looks, right? You know, we're, we're in a purple era mm-hmm. right now, right? Everybody wants exotic. Everybody wants, you know, purple, purple weed, right? So that's the first thing that we're looking for right now. The second thing is yield. You know, what are we getting? Well, how many, how many, uh, what are we getting uh, per light? How many pounds are we getting per light, right? Or per square foot? Next thing we're looking for is the timing, right? Now, it's we, it's no good to us if we get something that's super purple and uh, super frosty, and but it takes 12 weeks to harvest, right? Because that's going to cut down how many harvests we get per year of this specific strain. That's going to cut into the bottom line. So all these things need to match up. Now, this is before we even taste the weed, right? She needs to have color. She needs to yield properly. And she needs to, she needs to harvest in the proper amount of time so that we get at least five to six harvests per year from her to hit our bottom line. After that, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be taste. It's going to be high, you know? So it's really about five different things, you know, that we're looking for, you know what I'm saying? And every, every uh, pheno is different. You know, if we do get something that's purple and we got something with a Zaza, you know, maybe got that nice Skittles or that gelato taste. Now we want to get something that maybe got a GMO mm. taste. Now we want to get something that maybe got an OG taste. You know, we want to make sure that we tap into all the different type of terps because we don't want the same type of weed across the board. You know what I mean? Once we get some in the gelato family, okay, let's move on. Maybe we want some in the sour diesel family. Maybe we want a, a, a nice sativa, right? Maybe we want a, a nice Kim dog. Maybe we want a nice Durban poison type feel. So it just all depends on, on, on what we're after, you know? So all those elements go in go into pheno hunting. And what is what is the, once you make it past, you know, that initial spot spot and get to the smell and the taste, what's, what's the R&D process look like? And how many people do you lean on for, for feedback on, on these plants? So for me, I have a five man R and D team, right. And it has to be unanimous. Mm. Every strain you see me come out with, it has been unanimous across the board. You know, in the beginning, you know, when we got LaRusso, you know, I would have done maybe like three, three, you know, three out of five, you know, and I knew that I needed a five man R and D team just from being in the game for so long. You could give a strain to two people and they'd be like this fire. Then you give it to the next two people and they're like, oh, it's just okay for me, you know, but that's just the preference of the person. doesn't mean that the weed is, is good mm-hmm. or bad. It's just the preference. But when you get something special, you from, you know, like an OG, you know, when, when OG was Chris Skywalker was cracking, everybody in their mama who smoked it was like, this is mm-hmm. fire. So I kind of knew that going in when I picked my R&D team, I got them, I got five of the most connoisseur smokers that I knew, you know, from, for the past 10 years. And I was like, okay, try this, try this, try this. And that it wasn't unanimous until LaRusso came. So once I got to that point, at, at that point, it's about them smoking it. Okay. What's the highlight? You know, how did you get past the whole blunt? Did you have to put it down? What does it taste like? You know, all of those different type of things. What's the inhale? What you tasting on the inhale? What you tasting on the exhale? You know what I'm saying? So once you get all of those in place, then you pick, you know, okay, she made it. She was she was unanimous. You know what I'm saying? She had look, taste, smell, bag appeal, the timing it takes, you know, for her to harvest, the color, everything, everything across the board. Yeah. That's that's a great. I I, haven't, I don't know if I've heard someone do it exactly like that, but I, I love that five people unanimous. And that's diff, that's difficult, man, for for a strain it's to pass. Difficult, bro. Five individual taste profiles. You know, that's 
That's difficult. It's, it's difficult. That's why LaRusso is so special. <laughs> That's why Nino's so special. That's why these strains is so special, bro. And the ones that weren't, you know, the ones that just didn't hit, you know what I'm saying? Because over the past three years, man, like, you know, I won't lie, when LaRusso came, we kind of blew up. And so we put a little bit of pressure on ourselves. I kind of listened to the industry a little bit, and I don't know why I did, but, you know, just based off of the, off of the success and me just not being a dictator, I was like, okay, people say, man, you need to throw out a couple more strains. You know what I'm saying? You guys on momentum, you got this, you got that. So we threw out a Miyagi-Do, you know, and I I didn't get all five of them didn't sign off on Miyagi-Do, but three of them did. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with Bonsai. Maybe like two of them signed off on Bonsai, but it was a sativa. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, everybody don't like sativas. You know, so the two that do like sativas, they signed off on it. But as I learned, you know, over the past couple of years, my bestseller was LaRusso. Mm-hmm. My bestseller was the Laura Charles, and those ones had five mm. unanimous. Those are special. So what did I do? Okay, cool. I learned. I discontinued. Miyagi-Do has been discontinued. You know what I'm saying? Bonsai has been discontinued. I'm going to rebrand them with new genetics, but they're no longer here. Now, the next two that we have, Nino Brown and Dragonfly Jones, all five unanimous. So going into 2022, you will only see four strains from Ball Family Farms. Uh, Daniel LaRusso, Laura Charles, Nino Brown, and Dragonfly Jones. And they only be around. They're only going to be there for a year. Larusso stays because he's our pillar, right? He's what made us famous, and people haven't gotten tired of him yet. Yeah, and that and that's unique too. Having that internal R and D and and what you guys know and your gut instinct, but then also you know, a, looking at that against sales data because that's indisputable, right? Are people buying it on the shelf? Are they just buying it one time? Like, is it moving one time off the shelf? And then the like, no one's coming back for repeat. If you're able to take that internal gut instinct times that by the, the feedback out the streets you know what i mean that's a pretty solid you can't lose yeah, yeah you can't lose you can't lose but you got to know you got to be able to you got to know where to find these people and you got to know how to identify that and i think that's the hard part for some of these chads and brads who come into the industry trying to get off a weak ass cannabis brand you don't got that absolutely and, and you mentioned it earlier right like if it's not hitting that you're not putting it out if you take 300 strains even as much as you're hyped on the genetics and the, the potential if it's not hitting that standard, fuck it. We'll, we'll, we... It doesn't. You don't see the light of day. Yeah. You don't see the light. That's brand damaging. You know what I'm saying? You working backwards now. You feel me? That's... Or your brand just becomes a one a one hit wonder or two hit wonder. That was it. Ah, oh, they garbage now. They got too big. They stopped caring. Chris got too much money. He's too famous. Nah, bro. Not over here. We not. I'm not going out like that. Yeah, and I, I ain't going out like and that. And I liken that to um, you know, I did some work. Uh, in the in the in the craft beer industry, and you see that with craft beer producers, where they come out, you know, a beer company or brewery will usually lead off with their their staple, what they get known for, a simple beer, whether it's mm-hmm. the packaging or the flavor, whatever, you know, a combination of it. They get known for that, and you see successful ones add in that IPA or that heft, those other little flip beer profiles you need to hit. The successful ones yep. can fill out the roster. The unsuccessful ones. We'll just ride out that one. We'll just ride until, that shit to the wheels. You know, maybe off. it stays, or maybe the whole company tanks. <laughs> but, but maybe it know, don't. Just, yeah, yeah. They struggle. Facts, big facts, bro. Big facts. And for us, you know, like I said, man, I, I have a I have a sports background, so I'm competitive. So for us, it's fun. You know, it's fun when I get a call from Ted from Alien Labs, and he like, man, this damn shown up or this damn. Uh, Nino Brown that you put out is straight fire, bro. Now I want now I've got to go and try to create something to top this. Yeah. Okay, shit, you know, or when you see Gas House put out something like Pluto, 
You know what I'm saying? And you like, God damn, this shit is fire. You know what I'm saying? Like we need, we need something like that. It starts to get competitive, right? And who wins? When growers like myself, when the Felixes or, uh, or Kingston's from Gas House, when the Ted's from Alien Labs, when all of us get together and start competing, who wins? The consumer. Because right. all we're doing is trying to put out the best fire on the planet, right? That's it. So that's what we want. You know, we I, we we love that. I love that competitive nature with, with with some of the other brands. I love being mentioned in the same in the same sentence as those other brands because those boys do it right and don't nobody win but the industry, the culture of the cannabis culture, and the consumer. Right. Because all they're gonna get is heat. Right. I mean, the the genetics keep getting better. The finished product keeps better. And I mean, you're absolutely right. That that type of competition, the consumer wins. And then the beautiful thing about cannabis, as opposed to you know, soda. If you like Coca-Cola, you're probably not drinking, you know, RC. If that's the only thing or whatever is out there, you know, you're sticking yep. to Coca-Cola. But cannabis, you know, much like wine or beer, you might have your staples. You could slide. You might have your regulars, yeah. but you're always never you're always not gonna looking try for something. the next joint. Yeah, you're always looking for the next thing, right? I'm always looking for a different Sauvignon Blanc, bro. I'm a Sauvignon Blanc drinker. I'm always looking for a different one on a menu. Give me one I haven't tried. Right. You know, now I always go back to my New Zealand's, my staples, you know what I'm saying? But give me something I ain't tried. I, I, I want to know. That's the beauty about cannabis, you know, and it can, it's ever evolving. The strains are ever evolving. The phenol hunts are ever evolving. You know, the consumer is, is, is ever evolving. Getting And now it's even better, bro, because the, 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 your typical cannabis, um, your new cannabis user is starting to mature, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so readily available. So now these weak ass brands who are just growing a bunch of light depths and putting it in pretty packaging and trying to charge it like it's indoor, you about to be out the business in a minute because as soon as these people start to figure out the difference between Patron and 1942, it's gonna be a problem. Right. Only the 1942 guys, the Classe Azul people are gonna be the ones left standing and I'm one of them. Absolutely, and that's, I was interviewing someone on here earlier on in our podcast um, and he's, you know, he brought up this, this point, I never heard it like this, but he talked about how cannabis and some of these goods, wine and some of these categories have a culture of connoisseurship where Sure, volume is sold off price, but there's always, you know, in wine, right? There's hella $6 bottles of wine, but people are readily dropping two to three grand on a single bottle every on day of the week, you know? Absolutely. And that's always going to exist. Absolutely. As, as, as cannabis inevitably gets commoditized, I don't fuck it. I'm not saying that. Com 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 commoditized. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. We get commercialized, you know, so you know trying to make it a right? And we Com see these yeah, big, yeah, cheap, yeah. you know, we're going to see $6 yeah. ace, right? We're going to see a bunch of that bullshit. Yep. There's still people out there, myself included, that once we taste a good weed, no matter what we have in our pockets, going back. we can't go back, <laughs> man. We can't you can't go, go back. back, bro. You can't go back. It's, you know, and I, you know, my, 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 my team in the beginning, you know, um, was kind of asking me because, you know, I grabbed a bunch of blank canvases. You know, I got my family involved. I got people who really didn't come from the space like that, but just people that I could trust, you know? And um, they would ask me like, you know, wh why are we growing like this? This is the hardest way to grow. Why don't we just do it like that? And I said, because that's not the best quality. Mm. I said, and at the end of the day, I said, this is going to get, there's going to be a lot of people that run into this industry and that basic commercial weed over there is going to be on every street corner. Mm. But as long as I teach us how to do this, rich people and people who want to taste their weed is always going to come looking for us. And that's what we want to play. We don't want to play in the outdoor game. No disrespect to outdoor growers, because I think I always know that dirt is king and sun is king. Right. There's something that the sun can do that an HPS bulb can't do. 
right? So I get that and I respect it as a cultivator. But at the end of the day, that weed just ain't going to be the same as my jewelry, that I'm able to play God and, and control that climate on a daily basis, right? And make that plant give me the best expression possible, right? So with that product, it's like anything else. It's like Louis Vuitton or Chanel. Yeah, there's a lot of people that shop at Walmart. There's a lot of people that shop at Macy's, but they ain't taking no business from Louis Vuitton right. or Chanel. And that's what we want to be in the cannabis industry. And we want to cater to that market. But for me, what my, what my whole thing is, I want to have that quality of weed, but price it just a little bit lower so everybody could get the experience. And that's how I feel we'll stick around forever in the space. That's what's up. So what what is what is your guys' price? Tend I know it changes from retail to retail, but what's your guys' price out, out the door with tax? I think uh, out the door with tax, I've seen us as low as 55, and I've seen us as high as 80, bro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I ain't even going to lie to you. You know, so um, for me, I would like it to be somewhere around 50 bucks. You know, for you know, if it was up to me personally, uh, but you know, like you said, we can't control what the retailers do. Um, we all we do give retailers a discount, and we want the retailers to extend that discount to the consumers. But it doesn't always happen that way, and our hands are pretty much tied, you know, with that. But I I kind of wanted to come out and be the people's champ. You know, I've had we've had multiple DMs of people and our customers saying, you know, why don't you guys charge more? Why am I looking on shelves and seeing this brand when you guys we blow them out the water? And I reply because I want you to be able to afford it, and I want the next person to be able to be able to afford it. There's enough money in this business to go around. I don't I don't need to get rich off of right. it. I just need to be comfortable and be able to take care of my family and leave some legacy. That's it. And, and that's awesome. And for you know, and we have a lot of listeners. I mean, all over the country at this point, but some of them are are in California, very familiar. Some of them in Washington. I was talking to you a little bit before we started. Washington people, if you haven't Absolutely. been to California and you hear eighty dollars for eighth, you might be like, yes. But that's what is that? That's what it costs to smoke some good in California, you know, for in California for man. a litany of reasons. But your guys' quality of flower at 50 out the door in the California market, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Bro, come on down to Cali, man, and find you a retailer. Go on our website, look at all of our retailers, go on ballfamilyfarms.com, look at the store locations, call them up. You know, how much is ball family farms out the door? You know what I'm saying? And then find the one that's around $50, $55. Yep, yep. Show, show them love. So how how is your family, like, what's the, what's, the, what's the temperature on how your family feels about what you're doing now? Obviously carrying the legacy, but, you know, you said you picked up game from cousin, from grandma, from pops. Like, how, how are these individuals, you know, if some of them are still around, like, how, how what's their temperature on, on, you know, how proud of you are they? Man, grandma's not here, unfortunately, but I know she's smiling down. But, you know, my cousin Earl, Super stoked, man. Super uh, ecstatic. You know, he gets a kick out of every time I throw his name in it, you know, in my story, um, just because the story is making its way, you know, around the world at this point. Um, uh, relatives, everybody's super hype, man. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's super grateful. Uh, I'm able to, you know, kind of provide a little bit more resources to the family at this point, you know, and just like anything else, man, there's some family members that's pissed off, you know, because they're calling and asking to borrow money and I'm telling them, hell no, mm. you ain't borrowing no money. You can come work. You know what I'm saying? I give you a job, but I ain't, I ain't loaning out no money. You know what I'm saying? Them days is over. So, but with that, you know, I mean, I think that goes, you know, with anybody, you know, with family, when you got, you know, something like this happening inside the family, everybody thinks that they didn't hit the lottery. So you got to kind of calm that down. But, you know, Christmases are good. Holidays are good. You know, uh, my aunt, my mom, my uncle, they don't got to pay for Thanksgiving and, you know, Christmas dinners no more. We taking care of that. You know, there's some money set aside for the family in case of an emergency. Somebody need an operation or something like that. You know, nieces, nephews, cousins, they all get nice gifts. So, 
it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a dream come true, honestly, to be to be quite honest with you. Yeah, and that, and that was I was going to ask that too. Of coming from your history of of the you know they call it the legacy market, the traditional market, the black market, whatever the fuck you want to call it, the industry before it was right. an industry. Coming from that into now being a bona fide industry that you can openly talk on press about. What is what is that like internally? What's that feel like? Man, I can't even that that feeling right there is straight surreal. I mean, and you're asking a guy who was federally indicted, you know, and was looking at a 10 year mandatory minimum sentence. You know, I sat in that cell asking myself a million times, how the hell did I go from Berkeley to pro football to federal prison? Right. So to be able to come out of that, man, and now, you know, to have a, le a legit legal license and be able to scream this shit from the mountaintops, man, it's surreal. You know, it's, it's some days I wake up and I pinch myself because yeah. I can't believe that this is my life, you know. But with that, you know, as soon as that, as soon as I realize that I'm awake and I'm not dreaming, then that pressure kicks in. You know what I'm saying? That pressure to be an accurate voice and a good example for people of color, for social equity applicants, you know, to not, you know, let money and pressure and, and all these other kind of things change me, you know, or change how I view things, to not let a broken social equity program change me or derail me or discourage me when it's a moving target and they're changing shit on us on every, uh, on a daily basis to not let the 40% tax bracket break me down and hinder me. You know what I'm saying? So on one hand, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't sleep with one eye open no more. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm very, I know the police ain't going to come banging down my door because I got, you know, weed on me or weed at my facility. But at the same time, you know, with, with, with great power and great, great fame and success comes great responsibility, too. You know, and that's something that I'm, I'm still learning how to do, you know, correctly. And I say that humbly, you know, respectfully. Yeah, well, I, I think I think you're doing a great, you know, again, from the outside looking in. I, I don't know the internal workings, but it seems like, man, you, you're definitely living up to that and providing a great example. Um, and like we like we said at the start of this, the social equity thing is such a crazy topic. And, and so I, it's. it's it's like it's it's broken, but you know, to see someone that's that's getting in there and doing it right and, and thriving is is just a beautiful thing to see. And and where do you hope to see kind of social equities place in cannabis as we continue to roll out through this you know inevitable federal legalization? You know, man, I hope to see social equity fix its issues. I hope each city, especially the city of Los Angeles, I hope I really want them to get it together. Um, there's a couple of social equity uh uh, license holders out here who have, you know, some really good knowledge and some really good ideas. So hopefully we can kind of get together some sort of focus group to figure out how we can help fix this. And I believe if we do fix it, that you'll see hundreds and thousands of other crisp balls, mm. you know, start to surface, you know, because, hey, listen, I'm not, you know, yeah, I'm special in a way, but there are a thousand more. There are hundreds of thousands of more guys just like me, either sitting in prison or that just don't have a social equity license to be able to get this off or have a social equity license, but don't have the resources because the program is broken. Right. So if we can figure out a way to fix this, to fix the, the, the process and the, and the system, I think you'll see more guys like me prevail. I think you'll see more incredible, inspiring stories. You'll, you'll hear, um, a lot uh, more incredible background stories of, you know, their journey. And I believe that, you know, the social equity license in the program can be looked at as, as an asset instead of a liability at this point, you know, and that's, that's my hope. 
for this, that my hope is for other people who have been negatively impacted by the war on drugs to be able to get a chance to rehabilitate themselves like I did and change the trajectory of their family's lives just like I'm doing today. Mm, mm, that's poetry, man. That's poetry, man. That is poetry. Um, so, yeah, so, let's go. So for 2022, you mentioned you guys, you got four strains that you're holding down that, that passed the five-man test. Um, what, what else you got rocking for, for, for this next year? Man, we got a couple cool collabs that's going to be coming out. You know, I'm definitely going to be doing some uh, with Alien Labs for the culture. Definitely doing another collab with my man Al Harrington, my big brother over there at Viola. We're definitely going to do another collab. Um, I got some pheno hunting going on still right now for Monogram, you know, Jay-Z's company. Hopefully, you know, we can find something that's, that's good enough for both of us to put our names on and come out and do that collab. Still got a pheno hunt going on for Nipsey Hussle's family. You know, we got uh, two strains, Crenshaw and Slauson that I'm actively pheno hunting for right now. And the Ball Family Farms DocuSoap, man, coming out on Discovery. You know what I'm saying? Everybody needs to get ready for yeah. that. That'll, that'll probably come out next summer. You know what I'm saying? We actively shooting that as we speak. I was shooting earlier today. Man, I'm ready for I'm ready for every every single one of those things. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna have to pull up on the grow in LA. I'm gonna try and wiggle and see if we pull can turn up, that five that five man R and D to a six man. You know, let let me six let me man, get my Ginobili spot on the squad. Come on, man. Let's go six man off the bench. Let's get it. <laughs> I got room for you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I love it, man. I love it. Well, I really appreciate you hopping on here and chopping it up about about just your journey, which is an incredible journey in the brand for people out there that are curious. BallFamilyFarms.com, at BallFamilyFarms on Instagram. I, I said I plugged those both correctly. Absolutely. You sure did, my brother. Thank you very much. 100. And y'all can find me at ChrisBall45. Let's go. Follow the CEO. Get my followers up. Let's let's go. <laughs> I, I just gave you, right before we started, I gave you a follow on LinkedIn. So I, I'll connect with you in the in the realm of the professional. Bet. And, uh, man, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on here. Next time I'm out in L.A., I I'm going to get in touch with you. I, I got to pull up and, and check out the flavors, man. Please hit me up, bro. Please hit me up. Come check out the grill. Come walk it. You know what I'm saying? Let me throw you some samples and shit, man. Let's, let's go, man. Let's build. I'm with it. I appreciate you for having me. Let me come on tell my story on your platform, bro. I'm humbled by all of this, and I take nothing for granted, G. Thank you. Awesome, man. I appreciate you very much, Chris. I'll, I'll let you get on with your evening. For everyone out there, North American Weed Tour Podcast, Episode 73, Ball Family Farms.